Good morning. Well, we're still working our way through um, the scripture. I, I took a little bit longer on some of the more basic concepts at the beginning of Genesis, so we're kind of behind our reading plan, but I, I sat down and tried to make a plan to get us caught up. So um, you'll notice that we're, gonna, we're moving through pretty quickly the past couple weeks. Um, and this week we're going to cover the entire life of Joseph uh, in one short sermon. So we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. But before we get started, let's, uh, let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you. Father, we know that you reveal your word to us through the Holy Spirit. You help us understand it. You give us understanding and, and, and insight, and, and you help us apply it to our lives. Father, I pray that during this, this hour and this time that we're, we're studying your word together and I'm preaching your word, Father, I pray that it sinks into our hearts and that it's, um, it's, it's understood clearly and that we, we, we understand what it means, what the revelation of yourself to us, what it means that you are sovereign and how we can count on you in times in life no matter how, how hard difficult, or difficult things get. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, Father, help us to understand your word and to apply it and to remember it. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So since we're finishing up Genesis today, I decided to make us a graph. Um, do you realize that the, the, in, the section about Joseph is very large? Y'all, y'all realize that? Familiar with that? A, a large portion of Genesis is divided to Joseph. So I decided to make a graph to show us well, how much of Genesis, the book of Genesis, is devoted to kind of different, different people in different sections? So you may not be able to read it, but here is, you'll, you'll at least be able to see the, the bars from where you are. So this is the book of Genesis, and I tried to do it the way that I felt would be most representative, so I did it by words. I took the book of Genesis on software, my Logos Bible study software, and I split it up. And the first section is creation. Creation is chapters 1 through 11. And it is a total of 3,553 words. So you have the story of creation all the way through the Tower of Babel. Okay, right before we get to Abraham. So this is creation, flood, and, and right before Abraham. So this is the beginning of the earth and the beginning of all people as they spread across the earth. Then the next section you get to is the story devoted, the, the chapter is devoted to Abraham. And this is Abraham who God has decided to call a people to himself. And so here you see the second bar. I, I better point over here. This is how much of Genesis is devoted to the, the, the creation and the, the story of all people on earth. And then this next one, this is how much of Genesis is devoted to telling us about Abraham. This is the life of Abraham. You know who this is? Isaac. And then who's this? Jacob. And then who's the last one? Joseph. So you can see a large portion of Genesis is devoted to the life of Joseph. It's not that Isaac's not important. It's just that we just don't have a lot about him. Okay, so we're going to cover we're going to cover this last this last portion, Joseph. Now, Joseph's 
as you know, lived a life of trouble. Maybe not to the extent of Job, obviously, but Joseph lived a life of trouble. His trouble, do you know where it started? What would you think? Where did Joseph's trouble start? It was before the dreams. It was before the brothers. It was what? So, Joseph, well, Joseph's, Joseph's trouble started. You're right. You're right, though. Joseph's trouble started. That was the answer I was looking for. Joseph's trouble started with Jacob's favoritism towards him. Jacob... All right, so Jacob is also Israel. You know, God renamed Jacob Israel. So this is where we get the nation of Israel. Jacob's sons, he had 12 sons. They made 12 tribes. So, you know, every uh, this Jacob. So Joseph's father was Jacob. Now, Jacob's father was Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah, okay, played favorites. Remember that? Who was Isaac's favorite? Who was Rebekah's favorite? Jacob. Jacob. Who was Isaac's favorite? Esau. So, so, so Isaac and Rebekah played favorites. Isaac played favorite, and they played favorites so much that Isaac decided that he was going to bless Esau with everything. Remember that blessing? He's going to give him land. He was going to give him prosperity. He was all his brothers and family members would serve him. In other words, he was going to set him above all the clan, the entire clan. He was going to bless Esau with everything. And what was he going to do for Jacob? He was literally going to give him a curse. You know, he was going to tell him his life was going to be miserable, that he, uh, he would always be fighting his whole life, that he would struggle his whole life. But then Rebekah heard Isaac say that she was, he was going to bless Esau. So Rebekah came in and told who? Jacob. That to come in and steal the blessing. So Isaac gives Jacob the blessing instead, and then his favorite son Esau, who he was going to bless, ends up getting the curse. Okay? So what, hap- what happened after that? Rebekah told Jacob what? He had to do what? He had to run off to her uncle Laban, his uncle Laban, her brother, to, to leave because Esau said that he was going to kill him. So, so Isaac and Rebekah's favoritism of their kids completely destroyed and tore apart their family. So you would think Jacob would learn. But what does he do? He does the exact same thing Isaac did. Jacob has a favorite wife. You know, he was tricked by Laban. Jacob was the one who was the trickster, the deceiver. He was deceived by his uncle Laban. And he worked seven years as a, as a bride price, as a dowry um, for Rachel. And then he was tricked and given Leah in marriage and he didn't know it. And then he said, work another seven years and I'll give you Rachel. So he had two wives, but he played favorites. He loved Rachel. She was his favorite. So then he had a bunch of kids. He ended up having 12, but he had two by Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. So what did he do? He played favorites among his sons Uh, because Rachel was his favorite wife. Then Rachel's kids were his favorite sons. 
Joseph being the older, he loved Joseph the most. So, Jacob didn't learn. And so that's where we're going to get into, we're going to pick up the story. Genesis 37, 3 and 4 says this. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons. In case it wasn't clear enough, we're just going to go ahead and put it out there. Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age and he made a robe of many colors for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the other brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. So there you go. There you go. Where did Joseph's problem start? Started with his favoritism from his father. But we also see God step in in the next few verses, starting in verse 5. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had, which was not a good idea. There, there we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. <laughs> Joseph pulls off a lot of things, but I just, I would have seen this coming, I think. I think I would have just, look, they can't speak peaceably to me. But you know that's what that's what they do. They they they. I think it's a little animosity there. Like, oh, I had this dream. I think you'll really like it. So, are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. And this time, the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and brothers, and his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you have had? He said, am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So you know what happens next. Jacob tells Joseph to go check on his brothers and the flocks that they are shepherding and bring back a report. Now keep in mind, shepherding, what kind of job was shepherding? Was it an enjoyable job? Was it a clean job? No. No. Shepherding was a difficult job and you're really nasty and really smelly and nobody liked um, the profession of shepherds and, and a lot of people didn't hang out around shepherds for that reason. So what is what is uh so you see Jacob that's what he's making his sons do shepherd flocks well, of course you would if that's your livelihood and that's what you do you're going to make your sons do that you would think you would make all your sons do that but what does he make Joseph do he makes Joseph which is the much 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 younger brother the youngest one well not the youngest one but one of the youngest ones he tells him I'm gonna put you as supervisor give you nice clean clothes, you're going to smell good all the time, not going to make you go out and actually do the work. I'm just going to make you go out, see what they're doing, tell me what they're doing, don't get your robe dirty because it's expensive, and uh, come back and tell me how things are going. Jacob, we're seeing who the real problem in this story was. So Joseph is not only wearing clean clothes, he's wearing an expensive, colorful robe, and he is their supervisor. All this boils down to this. They saw him in the distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. 
They said to one another, Oh, look, here comes that dream expert. So now, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Now, here's my question. Did God give Joseph the dream about his brothers serving him and his parents bowing down to him? Did God give him that dream? Yes. Yes, God knew the future. He knew what was going to happen. He gave him the vision. Did God have to show Joseph that vision? He didn't have to. If God did not show Joseph that vision, if he didn't, do you think his brothers would have thrown him into that pit and sold him to the Midianite traders that day? I don't think so either. I think it would have taken a little bit longer for them to build up to the point of deciding to kill him. And at that point, I think they may have killed him. You know, you don't know. But what he did is God sped up the process, didn't he? He gave him some visions and made the brothers even more angry about those visions. He sped up that process. <clears throat> did God actually tempt Joseph's brothers to kill him or beat him or sin against him in any way? No. And let me show you the difference. God has given us revelation of himself in the Bible, right? He's told us the future, right? What's part of the future that he's revealed to us? This is just as good. This is much better than a vision or a dream. Okay, this is God's revelation, just like the vision was it gave to Joseph. God said, and we'll, this is at the end of the sermon, but I'm, I'm skipping it. So we'll just, we'll just know I meant to say this at the end, but I feel like we need to say it now. God said that he was going to ju- he's going to, in the future, judge the world by one man that he's appointed, Jesus, and that he's going to judge the world in righteousness. He's going to judge people because of their sin. He's told us that, right? That's a vision that he's given to all of us. So in essence, we could say we are like Joseph's who have been given a vision of what God is going to do in the future. It's the truth. It's what's going to happen. Now, when you tell that to people, do some people become really angry when they hear that? that you will be judged because of your sin at the end of your life and that you have to give your life to Christ. Does that make some people really angry? Yes. God gave Joseph a vision of what was going to happen, and Joseph told it to his brothers. And did his brothers get really angry? Yes. That doesn't mean that God tempted them to become angry. It doesn't mean that God tempted them to, to, to sin against Joseph. He told them the truth, and they didn't like the truth. He, gave them, he told them a revelation of what's going to happen, and that was their own sinfulness. It was their own hearts, their own jealousy, their own pride, their own sinfulness that caused them to act out in anger. Do you, do you understand that? When God reveals himself to us and we get angry with what God says, that's not him tempting us to be angry. That's our own sinful desires inside of us, our own selfishness that causes us to, to respond in angry towards what God has told us the truth is. And so I just want to point that out. God gave the vision, and if he didn't give the vision, then I don't think they would have sold him to, to them that day. And I don't think that he would have been taken to Potiphar's house and then from Potiphar's house gone on to, to be in Pharaoh's kingdom. And so this whole pr- plan that God orchestrated, yes, he stepped in. He actually did something. He actually orchestrated these events. And the, all the while, this is the most important part, All the while, he never actually tempted people to sin or to do evil. 
It was their own sinfulness. It was their own selfishness, their own inward evil that caused them to react that way when God did this thing. Does that, does that make sense? Because that's one of the biggest things that you need to know from the life and story of Joseph. That is the, the focus of my message, is that God is sovereign despite me. God is sovereign despite my sinfulness. God is sovereign despite Joseph's brother's sinfulness. God can still accomplish what God wants to do despite however much people rebel and sin against Him. No matter how much we fight against God and act outside of His will, no matter how much we do that God doesn't want us to do, He can still accomplish anything He wants to accomplish. So have you ever been tempted by sin? Of course. Was it God who tempted you to sin? Never. James 1.13 No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and He Himself doesn't tempt anyone. God does not tempt people to do evil. He never tempts you to do evil. You have two things that tempt you to do evil. Do you know what those two things are? One is probably the most obvious one. What do you think? What? Flesh. Sinful flesh. You live in it. You walk around in it. You breathe in it. You carry it until God's going to remove it and give you a glorified body one day. Your flesh tempts you to sin. The Scripture says that the flesh wages war with the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. So literally, your flesh that you have to carry around wages war against the Holy Spirit of God. So what God wants you to do, your flesh doesn't want you to do. Your flesh wants you to do what God doesn't want you to do. And that's an inner battle. And you have to be able in your mind to separate your soul, your spirit from your flesh. Because if you can't do that, then you'll never be able to get out of this thing called guilt. You'll never be able to get out of this situation in which you guilt yourself for how your flesh tempts you. You are your soul, your spirit that God has placed in your flesh. Your flesh constantly tempts you to do what you don't want to do or what God doesn't want you to do. And when your flesh tempts you, it's called a temptation. You know, Jesus was tempted in every way, but did not do what? Sin. So is temptation sin? No. Giving in to temptation, entertaining temptation is sin. One of the most obvious aspects I can say, like sexual immorality. Men who are tempted, and they have these tempting thoughts. And you can't, I don't even, I don't even watch TV anymore. I, I, you can't watch, you can't. You can't watch TV anymore because every commercial, I mean, it's, get so, it's even Hardy's commercials. I don't know if they're still doing it, but a couple years ago, I mean, it's just hard. It's, it's a burger. Come on, quit, you know, why, why the temptation? So you can't watch TV. Why? Because it sells. It sells, makes a lot of money, so that's why people do it. Here's the thing. When a man is tempted in his thoughts or mind, something comes before him, something flashes before him, he's tempted, what should he do? 
Wipe it out of your mind. Get on, get on to something else. Because you were tempted, how did you respond? If your response was, nope, I'm on to something else. I'm thinking about something else. I'm going to something else. Then did you sin? No. You can't live in this world and not be tempted. Jesus was tempted constantly. Jesus was probably tempted more than any human has ever been tempted. As a matter of fact, I'll get on this. I heard this, I heard this said, and it really struck me because I never heard of it and I never thought about it before, but I think I've mentioned it at least in one sermon in the past. When you're tempted by something and you're constantly tempted by that thing and you're constantly and you're resisting, you're resisting that temptation, whatever it is. Let's say, let's say you're a struggling alcoholic. You've been, clean, you've been dry for a while, sober for a while, and, but you're really being tempted one night. And I mean, it's hard. You're really being tempted one night because you're, you're, you're with some friends and they're drinking. You can smell it and it's really strong. You really want to get back into that, that temptation. But you know it's a sin because you know that drunkenness is a sin. You know you can't control yourself. You're really being tempted. If you go three hours through that night being tempted and then you finally give in, is it, is it a struggle to face that temptation anymore? No, because the temptation went away. The temptation goes away as soon as you give in, does it not? It's gone. You gave in. You're done. You're not being tempted after that. So what I heard someone say was, Jesus knows what it means to struggle against temptation better than any person who's ever lived on this earth because he never gave in. He felt the full force of every temptation because he, gave, he, he felt the full force of it as long as it would hit him, and he never gave in to any temptation. Jesus knows what the feeling of being tempted and that, that struggle of being tempted, he knows that better than any person who's ever lived on this earth. Now, people on the other side of that will say, well, no, he never really felt temptation. He, he was God and he was holy. And so even though people tried to tempt him, he never really felt temptation. I don't believe that for a minute. Because the scripture says he was tempted. And so if he was tempted, I believe. I mean, I'm not saying I can't be wrong. Obviously, I could be wrong about this. I just don't believe it. I believe he felt temptation just like we do. And I believe the enemy fought harder to tempt Jesus than he has ever fought to tempt anybody on this earth. I'm convinced of that. And Jesus never gave in to sin. And he never gave in to temptation. And that was a long way off of where we were. I'm not really sure where we got, where we left off. But, but here, he himself doesn't tempt anyone. My point is, God does not tempt you to do sin, period. Never has, never will. Doesn't have to. Because the two things that are already tempting you is your sinful flesh that you have to carry around until God gives you a new body, a glorified body, and the enemy. The enemy, who is a spiritual powers at work, will also fight to tempt you to do evil. God never has to. So Joseph is sold to Potiphar, who is the captain of the guards for Pharaoh. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph, and he does not give in and says, this is one of the most important parts from that whole story of Joseph being trying to be seduced by Potiphar's wife. Joseph says that he would not just be sinning against Potiphar and against you know, you know, that's his wife. He wouldn't just be sinning against Potiphar. He would be sinning against God. And that's my next point that I just kind of want to point out in all this story in the life of Joseph is that sin against any person on earth is ultimately sin against God. 
You cannot wrong another person, do anything bad to another person, do anything evil. And, and it doesn't just have to be to another person. I know that's all I've been using an example. It could be against yourself. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God says that you should not destroy the body. And so anything that you do to your body that's self-destructive is sinful. You realize that, right? If you do anything to your body that you know harms your body, you are harming the temple of the Holy Spirit that is sinful. So you can be sinning against other people. You can be sinning against yourself. But it doesn't matter. Every one of those sins is ultimately you're sinning against God. You can be sinning against God's creation. But all sin ultimately is against God. So Joseph resists temptation and takes a stand against evil and as a result is thrown into prison by Potiphar. Now you know who Potiphar was? He was an official of Pharaoh and he was, we're told he was the captain of the guards. (laughs) That is not the guy you want to get thrown in prison by. You know, we forget that because we te- it, the Scripture tells us he was the captain of the guards at the beginning, and then we read this whole story about Joseph and, and, and Potiphar, and then we forget that when he says he's, he had him thrown in prison. No, Joseph's, I mean, Potiphar is the captain of the guards, so he's got pull, he's got sway. And when he's angry and upset and throws you in prison, guess what? You're getting the worst spot. You're getting the, the most difficult place to stay when you're in prison, Okay? He's got a lot of pull, a lot of sway. So Joseph's thrown in prison. Then, now did God tempt, here, here's another question. Did God tempt Pharaoh's, I mean Potiphar's wife to try to seduce Joseph? No. Now you can say, well of course he did because that was how he orchestrated the whole events. No, 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 no. Remember, God never tempts anyone to actually sin. He never tempts anyone to sin. And what was Potiphar's wife doing? She was sinning. She was sinning by trying to seduce Joseph as a married woman. Okay? And so he never tempted her to sin. But that doesn't mean that he didn't know it would happen, in which case he knew which Midianite trader needed to be coming by in order to sell him to exactly that house. God can orchestrate all the small details because of his omniscience to a level that we can't even comprehend. And he can do it all while retaining his own holiness. That's what's so amazing and glorious about God. He doesn't have to, I don't know if you've heard the expression, he doesn't have to play both sides of the chessboard in order to win. Where you have this side, which is the good actions and the other side which is all the evil actions he doesn't have to move from this side and play a good action and then move to the other side and actually cause someone and tempt someone and force someone to do evil he doesn't have to do that and keep playing both sides in order to guarantee that he's going to win in the end god is far more glorious than that god is so glorious and so sovereign that he can let the enemy side and the evil side he can let them play all the moves they want to play he can let them try as hard as they can try to, to, to stop what he's doing and to do evil in this world. And all he's got to do is play his holy side, his good side, all his holy actions. He never has to compromise his own holiness. And yet he can always guarantee that the game's going to turn out the way he wants to. That's what's so amazing about God's sovereignty. It goes all the way down to the fine details that we, we can't even understand. 
the little things that we don't even know play a part in this whole scheme that he made sure that happened. All the while, never tempting anyone to do evil and never actually doing evil himself. So then Pharaoh throws his cupbearer and baker into prison along with Joseph. God gives them both dreams and God gives Pharaoh, well, God gives them both dreams and gives Joseph the interpretation. Then a couple years later, God gives Pharaoh a dream and the cupbearer tells Pharaoh about Joseph and Joseph is brought before Pharaoh and God gives Joseph the interpretation to Pharaoh's dream and Pharaoh places him in charge of all of Egypt. God brings a severe famine throughout the land for seven years and ends up forcing Joseph's brothers to come to Egypt and bow down before him just as God had foretold. Did God give the cupbearer and the, the baker a, a dream in prison? Yes, God did that. Did God give Joseph the interpretation? Yes. Did God give Pharaoh a dream? Yes. Did God bring famine on the land? Yes. Were any of those things evil for God to do? No, God is sovereign and accomplishes his plans while never actually performing any type of evil. And that's what we have to learn to separate when we read the scriptures. So, Joseph knew that his brothers didn't recognize him. And you've got to keep in mind, at this point, Joseph is put in charge of all of Egypt. He would have come from a people who would not have shaved their beards, you know, would have had this very very Hebrew look to them, and then come to Egypt, and we know what the Egyptians look like, right? If not, you've seen the movies, right? They had movies back in those days. We still watch them in color. You know, just, just go to Hollywood. We, you can see the movies. If not, they shave completely, completely bald, shave their heads. They wear these things on their heads and stuff, and they wear makeup. Okay, Joseph's brothers would not have recognized him. At the most... They would have been like, huh, I feel like I've met this guy before. But that's the most they would have been able to do. <laughs> Joseph, it's not like, how did his brothers not recognize him? You wouldn't have either. And that's what you have to understand about, about their culture and about the way they looked. He would have looked completely different. <clears throat> so they didn't recognize him, but oh, Joseph recognized them. And this is the part, and a lot of people don't want to focus on this, but it's true. And you need to know it because that's what's going to help you in life. Joseph did all these things against his brothers. He, uh, he accused them of being spies. Then he put all the money and stuff back in their knapsack so when they left, they could be easily accused of treason and arrested for treason. He, uh, when they, he, he put through one of the brothers. Actually, he threw all three of them in jail. All, all, all blah, ten of them because he was 11 and Benjamin stayed home, 12. He threw all 10 of them in jail for three days, okay? And after three days of them being in jail, he kept Simeon and sent the rest of them back and said, you can't come back unless you come back with Benjamin, and Simeon's staying in jail, okay? Why do you think he threw them in jail? Revenge. Revenge is sweet to those who are bitter, Right? This was not a noble thing of Joseph to do. You don't, everything in the Bible is descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. Okay? You read and it describes what Joseph does. It doesn't mean that you should live your life to mimic what he does. Everything in the Bible, all the hard stories, all the people who mess up, they're there for us to learn from 
to say, this is how you should not act. This is what you should not do. So he's bitter with all his brothers. He throws them in jail because he's like, okay, they're going to get theirs now. And then he keeps Simeon in jail and sends the rest of them back. You know how long Joseph was in jail with the, with the, after he had given the dream to the uh, baker and the, the cupbearer? I think it was two more years he was in jail. He sent all of them back and said, you can't come back unless you come back with Benjamin to prove that you're not really spies. Simeon's staying in jail. Simeon is the second born son. Do you know how long Simeon sat in that jail? Two years. The brothers went back, told, told Jacob what had happened. They accused us of being spies. We told them we had a father and one other brother here. They said, he said he's keeping Simeon until we prove by bringing back the other brother to prove that we're not really spies. And what does Jacob do? Oh, me. Literally. That's what he says in the Bible. He says, everything happens to me. That's what he says. Everything happens to me. Jacob is one of the most self-focused, selfish people that we read about in the Scripture. Oh, me. It's all about me. It's all about me. He leaves Simeon in jail for two years because he doesn't want to send his new favorite son, Benjamin, the only son from Rachel he has left, his new favorite son. He said, all we got to do is come back with Benjamin and we can bring home your son, Simeon, your second born son. Just send us back with Benjamin and we can bring Simeon home. And he's like, no, it's all me. Oh, me. It's all about me. All this bad stuff happens to me. And now Benjamin, my favorite son, you're not going to take him away from me. He's just so self-focused. He's he's playing favorites again with Benjamin. Did you catch that part? How many brothers did he send to go to Egypt to collect grain and haul it all back? Ten. (laughs) Benjamin, you stay here. Benjamin probably has a new colorful robe. Benjamin is probably now the new supervisor. He ain't working. So how do you think... Joseph, and so, so this is the whole underlying stuff that asks all the questions. How does Joseph want to know? Joseph wants to know how the brothers are treating Benjamin. That's another one of those underlying questions in this story. Joseph wants to know how the brothers, he knows how the brothers treated him because he was the favorite. Now Benjamin's the favorite. He wants to know now how the brothers are treating Benjamin. So the brothers come back with Benjamin after two years and they're all eating at the table. And what does Joseph do? It feeds Benjamin five times as much. And I've been wondering about that for a while, but I read a commentary, this studying for this sermon, I read a commentary that said, look, maybe he was trying to see if the brothers were going to be jealous. You know, we're all sponges. You get to squeeze us, you see what comes out. Maybe Joseph was just trying to figure out how the brothers were going to treat Benjamin when they saw how much food he got, and they didn't. Maybe he was just trying to test the waters to see, are they really repentant? Do they care or not? Well, apparently they didn't pass the test or Joseph was just way too bitter. Joseph was still bitter. He was still vengeful. He was still angry. He was not forgiven. And so what did he do? He sent them all packing and put his cup in Benjamin's sack and then sent his guards out to catch them and to bring Benjamin back and not to bring who back? The rest of them. He had no intentions of bringing the rest of them back. He was still not over what they had done to him. But he did want Benjamin. He loved Benjamin. He was his brother. And Benjamin wasn't part of this process and story of getting rid of him. 
So he wanted Benjamin to stay with him and he wanted to get rid of the rest of the brothers. He brings them all back and then that's, that's when it, 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 it comes down to this. When they finally convinced Jacob to allow all the brothers to return to Egypt, he sabotaged them again and demanded that Benjamin remain as his slave. He had still not forgiven his brothers at this point. He still wanted to send them away and keep only his full brother Benjamin back with him in Egypt. But his resentment was finally overcome when Judah, the one whose idea it was to begin with to sell him into slavery, pled for Benjamin's life. This is the longest speech given by any of Jacob's sons. But I'm going to read it because it's one of my absolute favorite passages in all of Scripture. I've got a lot of those. I know y'all hear me say that a lot. I've got a lot. But there are some that I just really like. Genesis 44, 18 through 45, 15. Now, Judah, Judah is pleading for Benjamin, okay? But Judah approached him and said, My Lord, please let your servant speak personally to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, for you are like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, My Lord, We have an elderly father and a younger brother, the child of his old age. The boy's brother is dead. He's the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him to me so that I can see him. But we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father. If he were to leave, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, If your younger brother does not come down with you, you will not see me again. This is what happened when we went back to your servant, my father. We were reported to him the words of my Lord. But our father said, go again and buy us a little food. We told him, we cannot go down unless our younger brother goes with us. If our younger brother isn't with us, we cannot see the man. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One is gone from me. I said he must have been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him again. If you also take this one from me, and anything happens to him, you will bring my gray hairs down to Sheol in sorrow. So we we see Jacob had no problem letting the other brothers know how he felt about Benjamin above them. So if I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, his life is wrapped up with the boy's life. When he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. Then your servants will have brought the gray hairs of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. Your servant became accountable to my father for the boy, saying, If I do not return him to you, I, always, I will always bear the guilt for sinning against you, my father. Now please, let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father without the boy? I could not bear to see the grief that would overwhelm my father. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants, so he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers, but he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. 
For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now quickly, return quickly to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. You can settle in the land of Goshen and be near me, you, your children, and your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and all you have. There I will sustain you, for there will be five more years of famine. Otherwise, you, your household, and everything you have will become destitute. Look, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin can see that I'm the one speaking to you. Tell my father about all my glory in Egypt and about all you have seen, and bring my father here quickly. Then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin wept on his shoulder. Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept, and afterwards his brothers talked with him. <laughs> you see, Joseph didn't know his brother, if his brothers were changed or not. He didn't know if they were truly repentant or if they were still jealous of Benjamin like they were jealous of him. Since Joseph is gone, Benjamin was the only son left of Rachel, and so he was now Jacob's favorite son. There's no doubt that he was receiving very special treatment by their father, just like Joseph was. This is why all the brothers except Benjamin came to Egypt on the first trip. Joseph could learn a lot by watching how they react to Benjamin. Judah had changed and he knew the grief his father would experience by losing his beloved son. So even though Judah was not guilty of stealing Joseph's cup, he offered himself as a substitute for Benjamin. Judah was willing to sacrifice himself to save his brother. Judah was a changed man. Jesus descended from the line of Judah. And it is no coincidence that Jesus, like Judah, would take the punishment due to someone else in order that they may be able to go home to their Father in heaven who loves them with all his heart. Joseph told his brothers that God had orchestrated his being brought to Egypt so they should not be grieved. Joseph was telling his brothers to forgive and let go of the guilt of their past because everything worked out for the salvation of countless people and Joseph felt that the price that he paid was worth the way things turned out in the end. And so we too must live our lives from that perspective, knowing that we will suffer in a fallen world if we remain faithful to God, but that he is able to work all things out for the good of those who love him. Romans 8.28 <clears throat> We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, did God tempt Joseph's brothers to kill him or to sell him as a slave? No. The brothers did that all on their own. But God did give Joseph just the right dreams at just the right time that when told to his brothers, it ensured that God's plan would be accomplished. God showed Joseph and his brothers the truth of what God would do one day. God has revealed to us the truth about the future. How we respond to that revelation is entirely on us. God said that he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus, Acts 17, 31. 
Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. You tell some people that and they become very scared. You tell others and they become very angry. Telling them is not a temptation to sin. Joseph's dreams were not a temptation to his brothers to sin. But because they had so much hatred stored up in their heart for Joseph already, they responded with greater hatred. All of this to say God is completely sovereign. There is nothing that will ever happen that will surprise him or catch him off guard. He does not tempt us to sin, but he does allow us to choose to sin against his will. He is so far above us in his omniscience that he knows exactly how to accomplish anything he wants to accomplish regardless of what we do in rebellion against him. All the sin in the world, all the rebellion in the world from people and evil powers can never and will never be able to outsmart or outwit God. He will accomplish his plans regardless of how much we fight against him. Our free will and our sinfulness does not phase God. He will always achieve his goals. So we should take great comfort in God's sovereignty, knowing that he loves us and cares about every detail of our life. We should be praying about everything to him, knowing that he can do something about any situation we have. He's bigger than our circumstances. He's smarter than our enemy. And he's more loving than all of us put together. He is God. And he is our father. And so the question always ends, is he yours? Do you trust him for your salvation? Do you trust him to save you, knowing that you cannot save yourself? Let's close in prayer. Father, we love you. And Father, we are thankful We are so, so thankful that you are sovereign. That you can accomplish anything you want, anytime you want, without ever compromising your own holiness, without ever compromising your own goodness. We thank you. That gives us comfort. That gives us comfort for our future. Knowing that if we suffer in this life, like Joseph, for for doing what's right, that if, life, if the enemy keeps hitting us and, and our flesh keeps hitting us and keeps attacking us, that we know that you can make all things, no matter how hard or difficult or bad they are, no matter how much people sin against you and rebel against you and do things that you do not want them to do, every time someone sins, they are doing something you don't want them to do. But no matter how much people sin in this world, no matter how much we sin in this world, nothing can stop you from accomplishing what you want your plans, and working everything out for our good. And that gives us comfort in times that are difficult and where we see no way out. And we thank you for that. And we love you. We love you so much, Father. And we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. If you would stand as we have our closing song. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you. Father, please forgive us when we sin. 
and we add to the, the fallenness of this world. But Father, we trust you. We trust you for our salvation. We trust you for our comfort. We trust you for your presence right now. Father, please show us what you have in store for us, what you have planned for each of our lives. Open doors for us. Give us opportunities. We're looking forward to it. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.